Hey there, and welcome back to the Will and Rob Show. It is great to be with you guys. My name is Robert. I'm a ministry associate with Ministry State. With me, as always, is my very good friend, Will Stockdale, also a ministry associate with Ministry State. Make sure to uh, scroll down and leave a review on this podcast. We'd love to see uh, your comments. Feel free to DM us on Twitter with some questions. We'd love uh, to be able uh, to interact with you guys on the show. Um, I'm at RD Hassler. Will's at Stockdale Will. Yeah, and I want to say you guys might think that we just have this hopper of infinite topics, but sometimes we don't exactly know what what the people want, what the people are demanding. And so go ahead and DM us, and we will do our best to be, in some ways, the Vox Populi, the voice of the people, representing you one episode at a time. I like that. That's good. Um, yeah, that's, that's a new spin. I don't know if that spin's going to keep going. I think we might we may not want to keep going down that path. But for today, we've got a fun show planned. Um, I think one of the first things we wanted to kick off talking about was the big news that came uh, out over the weekend. We found out that President Trump himself, uh, along with many others, including First Lady Melania Trump, as well as a few other administration officials, uh, all tested positive for COVID-19. Will, what was sort of your reaction when you saw the news? Well, I think when taken together with the way that the debate went and then the news of covid uh, him contracting it, it seems that controlling for the last six months, even that this past week has been devastating for his campaign because it's not just that he contracted it. I mean, he contracted it and thank God he is okay. He is out of the hospital, albeit maybe not the best decision at this time to have left the hospital. But the, um, the, the circumstances surrounding him contracting COVID, his communication of that, the people who have contracted it as a result of him. But even then I say that and I want to stop and be like, well, I don't know, Will. Like, who knows who got it first or, or where? So, I mean, sure, but it, it um, definitely is not a good look for him. Yeah, I think it was, it, it was very shocking. You know, the initial reaction on Twitter seemed to be sort of this fine line between like, kind of, we told you so, and also legitimate concern uh, about the president himself, obviously, but also just sort of the prospects of, you know, anytime a, a, a leader, uh, a government official comes down with a, with a disease or, or something life, life-threatening like that, in a sense, um, obviously, it's, it's a cause for concern and, and things like that. So I think that, that was kind of my reaction. Um, I think one of the most interesting aspects of the whole story that I noticed was this infusion of uh, the power of positive thinking language. One of the developments of the whole story was that um, there was a lot of confusion about the timeline. You know, when did the president actually contract the virus? How serious actually was it? Like, we don't really quite know. Um, there were a couple of different press uh, conferences with the doctors, and it felt like one press conference gave a much rosier view of the president's health. And then details came out later that demonstrated maybe it was a little bit more complicated than that. Maybe there were some, um, a little bit more perilous aspects of, of this story. And what was interesting was when the doctor who had initially gave, given the first press conference was sort of called out for it, he said, quote, I didn't want to give any information that might steer the course of the illness in another direction. Yeah. What is that? So my best understanding, and this is, this is not just my interpretation, uh, the reporters over at the New York Times who do the Daily also notice this too, which is that 
the doctor seemed to indicate that the way that the news was told, whether it was in a positive or negative uh, spin, would have a certain effect on the president's health. And so the president seems to believe that if he has positive thoughts, he can sort of will the virus away, if you will. And I think that that's just so interesting. That I mean, that's very reminiscent of the power of positive thinking, um, which was the same sort of, um, uh, I don't know if you want to even call it a theology of, uh, was it Norman Vincent Peale? Is that, his, is that his name? Yeah, Norman Vincent Peale, who interestingly enough was a Dutch reformed pastor. That's so interesting. I don't know how you square that. I yeah, don't I don't either. I mean, it's such an American sort of, spin you know what i mean like this sort of like if you pull yourself up by your bootstraps if you will it you can achieve it kind of thing and i know that the president has admitted that peel is a sort of spiritual guidance counselor to him as somebody he's really relied on which would make sense that feels very natural and sort of what i know about business tycoon and business empire sort of culture yeah, I mean, it seems almost like a precursor to the secret. If you <laughs> power a positive thing, if you whisper, I'm going to get better to the universe, the universe will send you good vibes and make you better. I guess what's really strange about it is a doctor saying that. It, yeah. It's one thing if like a press secretary or someone who is a disciple of Norman Vincent Peale says it, but for a, a trained physician to say it is a very curious, uh, uncomfortable uh, comment. Yeah, I I can't quite explain it. It's it's got to be some uh, something along the lines of, you know, the doctor was told these are the talking points and you need to stick to them and just sort of went out and did it. I, I mean, I don't know. It's it's hard to really understand. I just think it's interesting and I think it's something that you know Christians should be aware of that this sort of uh, way of of spiritualizing is embedded in our culture and even in our politics now. And um, it's just something we should be on the lookout for because it's so at odds with the gospel. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask. I wanted to ask, where do you see it most at odds with the gospel? For me, even asking it, I think it doesn't leave much room for suffering or even for God allowing suffering to be good in our lives and that it makes us more reliant on him. It refines us it purifies us it sanctifies us so yeah power of positive feeling seems to rule that out from the beginning by its name it seems to rule that out yeah i mean i'm in the middle of reading uh the healing path by dan allender which is all about how do we make sense of suffering in a world that we know is under the authority of of god and, and god's sovereignty and i mean i think this is the at the end of the day i mean we're wrestling sort of with you know what's the problem of evil like how do we how do we deal with that how do we deal with a good God and a fallen world. And I mean, I think one thing we have to keep in mind is that suffering is an inevitable part of living uh, in a fallen world. I mean, that's just, that's the reality. And everyone knows this. I mean, this is, this is the case. And God's sovereignty is in no way challenged or thwarted by that fact. Um, I think that's, that's something to remember. And I mean, I always return back to the story of, of Joseph and, you know, what, what others intend for evil or even these horrible things that happen in a fallen world like diseases can even be used by the king of the universe to bring people closer to him and into relationship with him. That's kind of the basic element of it. Um, And I think anybody who's trying to avoid suffering 
through positive energy or things of that nature, I think it's just diluting themselves in a, in a way. There are a number of areas I think we could cause uh, find issue with it. Talking about positive energy, good vibes, those kind of things. Uh, there are numerous theological problems with that questioning. Uh, what is God's role? Where is the role of the Holy Spirit? What is the body? What does scripture say? All of those are, are certainly issues that could be uh, addressed. But I also think when, when talking about this, there's the reality that we do not live in a closed universe. And even when we face suffering, we do not all of a sudden be, live in a closed universe where the sky has closed us off from God and we are restricted from him as if the ability to flourish and to live well as a human is somehow suspended when we suffer. No, God is still present and that is still, it is hard and it may not feel like it, but that doesn't mean that God is not at work in us. And um, it ends up becoming crushingly closed when we, um, when we don't think that God can be using suffering. But this, this takes us a bit afield, I think, from looking directly at what's been happening with Trump over the weekend. He was only there for a couple days. Uh, there were confusions around the timeline that he, his doctor at one point said 72 hours, which would put the date that which he was positive on Wednesday instead of Thursday. And then the doctor changed that and was trying to say he was, maybe he was kind of like what you're saying, was trying to give a more positive look at, at how he was recovering and how far along he was into things. And then he leaves kind of against doctor's orders. The front page of the Wall Street Journal this morning is Trump taking off his mask. I will say it is interesting. My goodness, he is not orange in these pictures. He is, he has lost his orange hue, which I mean, I guess for the orange man, bad people, do they, have they lost their cause? Uh, no, I bet that will be, uh, that will be resolved in the next week. I'm sure. You think so? Oh yeah. Okay. But what do you make of the, the way that the American people were updated, notified of the president's condition? Like what, what do you make of all the sort of different stories that came out? From what I've read and what I've seen, uh, I think that how the information was released was very bad for the American people, very bad for the White House, and very bad for the Donald Trump campaign. All three of those suffered from the way that this information was released. It wasn't clear. It wasn't concise. It wasn't up to date as things were known. Uh, the fact that he went on Fox and he said, the president said, I'm waiting for my test results. That's at best a half truth because he had a test that came positive and he's waiting for another test to confirm that. And so he didn't outright lie. He just didn't tell the whole truth to people. Um, we had talked a couple weeks ago about Amy Coney Barrett. The past two weeks we talked about her. Her being confirmed is, is kind of up in the air now. There's some jeopardy around that because Mike Lee has come down with it. And then people who aren't on the Senate, uh, Chris Christie, Kaylee McEnany, there are a number of people who are getting sick and what this has done to people working in the house. And then also him doing the little drive-by in his Suburban to wave at people. That, to put those servicemen and women in unnecessary risk, they are always at risk because they're putting their lives on the line to protect the president. Yes, this was very much an unnecessary act did not have to be done and was done anyways. That, that strikes me as not okay. That strikes yeah. me as very much not okay. 
I mean, it, it sort of plays into the recent messaging that I'm seeing coming out from the White House about this whole story, which is that, you know, the president had sort of a, now an infamous tweet about, you know, don't, don't be scared of the virus. Don't let it control your life, which we, we shouldn't be. It, I will say I've heard that too. And there's a level of truth to that in the sense of it is not healthy for the last six months to allow this virus to completely dictate everything that we choose to do. There are very few people who allow that to do that. So everyone acting like, what do you mean? It should, no, that's not true. And probably the people who are up, up in arms about him saying that haven't actually allowed it to totally dictate their lives. They probably agree with that actually to some degree or another. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It just, it feels sort of in line. And what, what I kind of find frustrating by the whole thing is that, um, which has happened since the beginning of, of COVID-19, which is that we've taken a, you know, serious medical pandemic and turned it into a proxy war for our politics. And so, you know, masks have now become a political statement not wearing a mask says something about you whereas like there's now also an element of wearing masks when it's not really necessary and appropriate um that is also a sort of political signal which i find very bizarre it it seems to be you know for a culture where increasingly there's this premium that we put on science and trusting the science and believing in the science it sort of reveals all of that to be kind of nakedly partisan and really as a sort of weird secular religion um, that we all sort of participate in as well. It's, it's a very interesting dynamic. I, I think people will look back at the COVID-19 pandemic and everything that happened with it, and it will be just this very interesting case study into post-modernity and um, sort of Ross Douthat's thesis of, of a decadent society. I think it'll just be one of those things. Yeah. So I, I do want to say this about Trump. I think one of the reasons that it is concerning, I, I think of the line from the Chronicles of Narnia, where I think it's the horse and his boy, where you have the twins, twins that were separated at birth. And uh, one of the brothers goes before the king and he talks about how he wants to be king, but his father, the actual king, describes to him what it is like and the responsibility and the weight and what it means to lead and what is required and that you set aside your needs for the needs of the people. And if people are going hungry, you don't eat. These concepts of a very noble king who loves his people and is willing to forgo in order for them to have abundance. And I, when I think about how Trump acted, putting those people at risk unnecessarily, I think the reason that it's so hard is that we know that a good leader is to is to care for his people is to want for the best for them and when they're not and they're put in harm's way for some kind of you know vain arbitrary reason it's very tough to let that reconcile and to sink in with everything else i mean well speaking of as difficult as this is speaking of other leaders who have or can't measure up to the the responsibility and weight of their role um, another story that is been breaking in sort of the more evangelical world is obviously the the case of Ravi Zacharias and what's going on there. I know you've been wrestling with that a lot lately. Yeah, I was on the phone with one of my, um, a a mentor and someone I look up to a lot. He's a professor at RTS and he told me about it. I think it was the day after the story had broken. I hadn't heard about it yet. And uh, it had hit him pretty hard because Ravi Zacharias' ministry had meant an amount to him. Uh, and 
the uh, the stories that have have come out, the accusations, uh, and I say accusations just because it's still um, ongoing. It seems pretty um, sustained. Like it, it seems that it, it there's plenty of evidence that this actually did happen. That he is guilty of what people are saying he did is very difficult, and I uh, it's difficult in a lot of ways. I mean, the fact is that um, his lawyers lawyered up and put an NDA on a woman made me think like I cannot for the life of me think how that's ethical ever for a ministry or a minister to do. And uh, this the mentor or friend I was talking to was saying it really conflicts. His point was conflicts with our call as truth tellers. How can you claim to be a truth teller when you muzzle people that is directly contradictory to that? Um, he abused his position. He abused those women and it, it's, it's, very, it's very sad. And I, I think something else that's hard is in our age of cynicism, people are looking around saying that these, you know, everyone's corrupt. I was just reading David Brooks' article that came out in The Atlantic and the amount of people from boomers to, to millennials, basically are people basically good or not? Are people going to do the right thing or not? Millennials, we are at an appallingly low rate. I mean, we are about as pessimistic regarding the good of society as a whole as maybe in American history. It seems like we are far, far from a place where we view society as cohesive, cohered, trustworthy, reliable. And when stuff like this with Robbie Zacharias happens, people like, you know, he passed away during COVID over the summer and he seemed squeaky clean when he passed away. And then it turns out months later, something comes out. And what it does for the cynic is say, sure, you know, maybe so-and-so will die clean. Just give it time. Something's going to come out. We're all, all you big leaders are wicked and corrupt and, you know, terrible. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the joke, right, on Twitter is you see a random celebrity or name trending and your first initial reaction is, oh, no, what did this person do? How did this person get canceled? What's going on? Which, unfortunately, tends to be the case, right? Like, that's, that's sort of our expectation now. And I, I struggle with this, Robert. I don't really know how to handle this totally. We have seen a lot in our lifetime that can lead us to be pessimistic of people starting out with, I mean, I don't remember this, I was, but, you know, the dot-com bubble that burst. And then, and part of this also, Brooks, to bring Brooks back into it, because he's just, what I, I mean, how much fun is he? Brilliant, read? dude. Oh, what a guy. Him and Ross Douthat. Uh, <laughs> We were born, Robert, around this pinnacle of Western civilization. Everything was going to get better with the fall of the Berlin Wall. And it doesn't. And you have 9-11. And then you have the disasters of Iraq and Afghanistan. Financial crisis. Financial crisis that happened. Um, you get uh, racial unrest. Brooks cites that the amount of like discontentment uh, among blacks in America went from like 18 to 48%. From 2002 to 2018, I think, is what it was. So that spiked as well. All kinds of things that have been happening. And we, we've seen a lot that can make us say, yeah, I mean, like, there's a lot of dishonesty. How in the world did no one from Wall Street go to jail? Because no laws were broken. Well, why were the laws written that way? Yeah, I mean, it's an incredibly difficult thing to grapple with because you just sort of listed a timeline, right, of from Berlin Wall to now and sort of all of these catastrophic uh, changes in our discourse and our culture. Well, you know, 
on paper, it's like, how can that be considering everything that we know to be true, right? Like communism's gone. So there's really no competing force against liberal democracy. Well, we, end up, we learned that it's not really the case. We, we, get, we garnered the, the full power of the cell phone and having an iPhone in our pockets. Like how can life be this lonely and um, kind of crushingly sad when, you know, we've got literally the power of the universe at our fingertips. It, it, it's, it's this weird dichotomy of really high highs and really low lows. And I think what people are starting to realize is a lot of the highs that we were promised in sort of the end of history were all these really, they were material, they were really frivolous, they were sort of icing um, on the cake. And we didn't really examine what was going on at the root of things. Um, and we, we may have discovered that things are a lot more distorted than maybe we care to realize. And that is combined with this sense of the uh, Twitterati saying that unless X happens, everything will fall apart. Unless we fix such and such, unless we vote in a certain, everything's going to fall apart. And I, that leads to something we've been talking about a little bit is this strange op- opposition, this dichotomy that people are putting out between neighbor love and I almost would say it's as clear as neighbor love or constitutionalism. Hmm. Like those seem to be the two areas where people are at odds. You can, and what people are saying is basically, look, you can either vote in a way that loves your neighbor or you can vote to defend your individual rights. And first of all, my initial thought is that is the most bad faith argument I have heard. It assumes that everyone who doesn't vote like you is trying to screw over somebody else. And I would say that 95% of people who vote for Biden and 95% of the people who voted for Trump thought that they were doing what was best for the country as a whole, which includes their neighbors. They're not voting for something that's going to really hurt people. They are voting for what they think is best for their neighbors. From the other side, it's this strange thought that somehow constitution and individual rights are opposed to loving people and caring for people. When that is a very recent thought. It would be, you'd be hard pressed to find a founder or a person in the American nation when it was first founded who thought that, look, this just allows me to, to be private and live, by, live on my own. I mean, association was like what drove society in the, in, in the early American period. That's like what Tocqueville was talking about all the time. Right. Community is, is such an integral part of our founding and our nation that that's not to say that increasingly over time we have succumbed to radical individualism because we have, I mean, there's just no doubt about it. That's, that's so evident to me as I look at our culture. Um, It's interesting to me that the same folks who, and they're Christians who tweet this kind of stuff, this, you must extend your, your axiom of voting for neighbor uh, into your vote, and that is fundamentally opposed to voting for your self-interest. The same people who make that argument are basically adopting or assuming a very secular vision of politics, which is that it's a zero-sum game, that there's only winning or losing, and that's the only thing that can happen. 
And I, I just find that to be a really small way of thinking about politics. I know we talk a lot about, you know, what is a healthy vision of politics and how does it integrate with our faith? And we talk a lot about, uh, you know, principles for limiting our expectations with politics. Um, but I think there's also something to be said, which is that our vision of what constitutes political acts or being engaged in politics can be bigger than just voting. So I think we, we tend to like sort of collapse everything onto our vote. And we, we give this, we, we've said this so many times, we place on our vote this moral weight that it just can't bear. It just can't bear all of those assumptions. And, you know, I've mentioned this to you, like, I think it's so short term thinking. And I'm, I'm really concerned because I, as we approach November 3rd, I'm seeing this rhetoric that is increasingly drawing the lines and it's saying you are a Christian and therefore you must vote this way. And what I'm worried about is what happens when we show up for church on November 4th and we realize that our brothers and sisters may have voted differently than us. What then? And that's what, that's what scares me. Uh, I think that's a good alarm to sound and for pastors to think about and be aware of. Are they paying attention to how people in the pews are viewing their fellow pew sitters? Are they viewing them as potential enemies that the most important thing is to get them to vote a certain way? And uh, going back to sort of what I was saying about all these assumptions and stuff, like, I doubt there would be many Christians who would disagree that an, an aspect of your vote is, is love of neighbor. I, I doubt anyone would disagree with that. But there are many ways to love our neighbor, and we just know that to be true. We can, we can love our neighbor in so many different ways. Um, loving our neighbor may look like putting an arm around them and comforting them during times of trouble. It may also look like bold, prophetic correcting and teaching. I mean, and I think what we need to be prepared to do is post-election, we need to be prepared to sit down and have conversations with our fellow uh, brothers and sisters in Christ and understand, you know, where are they coming from? Why did they vote a certain way? And we may actually discover that our motivations and our assumptions actually may be a lot closer aligned than we care to acknowledge in the heat of election election cycle. Yeah. And as this episode is released, it will be 26 days from the election. It's getting awful close. And uh, we, we need to be praying and not just praying that our candidate wins, but we need to be praying for our neighbors. We need to be praying that God softens our hearts, that God lifts our eyes up above. Yes, there, there are things that are better or worse for a country and we seek the better, we should seek for the better to happen. But when that doesn't happen or when we, when, when what we think is best doesn't happen, that doesn't mean that we get to despise those who are our brothers or sisters in Christ. Right. I mean, we're going to be in churches together come November 4th and we need to be prepared to have those conversations and be prepared to empathize and listen and not be so quick to judge because what would just be a tragedy right? A, a, a total tragedy would be to see churches split over something as, let's just say it, in the vast scheme of things, inconsequential as a one presidential election. 
if we consider you know where we are headed one presidential election matters very little in the grand scheme of things and so we need to make sure that we are putting all these things in the right context and having the right frame as we think about them because without it i'm i'm really worried about our tendency to <laughs> divide and draw boundaries and and things like that well, this has been good. I think we covered a lot of ground. Thank you again for listening to The Will and Rob Show. As always, follow us on Twitter. I'm at RD Hassler. You can follow Will at Stockdale Will. Make sure to check out Ministry State at ministrystate.org. Uh, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Ministry State. Um, as always, please leave us a review. Give us five stars. We'd be very grateful. And with that, we'll see you guys again next week. <laughs>